So I went up to see her and she said, look, I'm terrified. She said, I've just had a tumour removed from the back of my ear. And uh, she said, I'm convinced that tumour was a result of my heavy use of mobile phones. And I've been using a mobile phone up to my ear for many, many hours a day. And, and I've just, these workmen are going up onto the roof of this building and they're, they're um, telecommunications workers and they're rolling out this technology on the top of that, this building. And I'm terrified about that because as, as, you know, as she said, she, she just had this tumour removed from the back of her ear. And it was a vague, it was a vagus nerve tumour. It wasn't an acoustic neoma. In this episode, you will hear Theodora Scarato, Executive Director of the Environmental Health Trust, interview retired radiation health physicist Victor Leach to discuss the research about wireless non-ionizing radiation and what the data show regarding its dangers to human health. This is the Environmental Health Trust podcast. EHT is a scientific nonprofit committed to creating a healthy and safe environment. EHT scientists publish research, translate the science, and work to raise awareness about environmental toxins, health, and telecom industry influence. Our vision is a world where technology is both revolutionary and safe. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at ehtrust.org to receive the latest science regarding wireless technology and health. Welcome everyone. I'm Theodora Scarato with Environmental Health Trust, and I'm here with Victor Leach, who is a radiation health physicist and atmospheric scientist, and he's been working for 40 years in the field. He's the founding member of the Oceana Radio Frequency Scientific Advisory Association, and he formerly worked at the Australian Radiation Laboratory, which is now ORPANZA, of the Government of Australia. And he's going to be presenting on the research that uh, ORSA has analyzed and compiled and talk about what is happening in Australia at this time. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, uh, Theodora. Um, yeah, uh, as Theodora said there, um, I've actually worked um, over 45 years in radiation protection. And uh, you've got to remember that um, most, of our, most of my colleagues, and um, I'm a founding member also of the Australian Radiation Protection Society uh, back in 1975, you've got to remember that most of um, our, um, our colleague, most of my colleagues work with X-rays and gamma rays. There are very, very few jobs in the area of non-ionising radiation. And um, except for uh, some lasers at universities, um, laser safety, um, most of my colleagues don't aren't really, uh, not really had a look at this um, wireless communication um, area and um, and of course are, are very sort of ignorant of it. Um, so given that background, you've got to understand that um, when I go to uh, the last five years, I've been going to the Australian Radiation Protection conferences and delivering papers on this subject, um, saying, look, um, I think we've got a problem here. Um, these, these are uh, modulated waves and uh, they're actually interacting, interacting with biology and actually causing uh, biological effects. And these effects are not trivial. And um, after I've given these talks, um, my colleagues come up to me and say, gee, Vic, I didn't really, um, I didn't really uh, 
look at this subject area, but now you've um, now you're talking about it. I think we do have a problem. So I've been trying to wake up my colleagues over the last few years that we do have a problem in this area. And it was um, when I was working at Queensland University of Technology uh, and uh, near my near my end of my career, I um, was the radiation protection advisor there, and. Uh, uh, we, I had uh, a lady uh, come to me as uh, in my office and say, "Well, look, I, look, I've just had, um, and she was a young lady. She, she said, I've just had a uh, a tumor removed from my um, breast, and um, do you think um, do you think that uh, that mobile phone I was putting in that area? Do you think uh, this could be a result of uh, me putting my mobile phone in my bra?" And I said, "Look, I, I don't really know," and this is about a decade ago. And uh, I said, I don't really know, but but I'll, I'll look into it. And what I did then was, like most of my colleagues uh, in Australia, I rang what I thought was an expert uh, in the area. So I rang um, Dr. Ken Joyner, who I, who I knew from the Australian Radiation Laboratories uh, years ago. And he said to me, look, there's not a problem. I'll send you a fact sheet. You know, women get breast cancer for all sorts of reasons. I, I don't think this, you know, I think you're uh, reading too much into this. And so anyway, I got this sort of glib email with uh, um, with this uh, fact sheet. And uh, I looked at it and I thought, no, it's, this isn't right. I'll, I'll, I'll look a bit harder into this. So um, I, I got Dr. West's paper and I started reading and started to realise that the, uh, what Dr. West had pointed out was, in fact, the, the tumours were actually quite unusual. They weren't nodular, they were more in a line. And then I thought to myself, well, that, that makes sense because um, you've got antennas in there and they would tend to um, align. So I thought, oh, that, this is interesting. I'll, I'll look into this. So at the same time, I had a lady in the li li library area uh, call me up and she said, oh, you're the radiation protection advisor. Would you like to uh, come up here? I'd like to talk to you. And I said, yeah, fine. So I went up to see her and she said, look, I'm terrified. She said, I've just had a tumour removed from the back of my ear. And uh, she said, I'm convinced that tumour was a result of my heavy use of mobile phones. And I said, well, hang on, wait a minute, you're a librarian. Why would there be heavy use of mobile phones here? And uh, she said, um, well, I've, yeah, I've come back to work in the, the library. That's my, um, my original training. But in fact, I've been working for my husband's real estate business. And I've been using a mobile phone up to my ear for many, many hours a day. And, and I just, these workmen are going up onto the roof of this building and they're, they're um, telecommunications workers and they're rolling out this technology on the top of that, this building. And I'm terrified about that because as, as, you know, as she said, she, she just had this tumour removed from the back of her ear. And it was a, vague, it was a vagus nerve tumour. It wasn't an acoustic neoma. So I said, oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I said, um, well, what do you, what would you, I'll, I'll get some instruments and do some measurements. So I rang a company um, and I said, look, would you come here and do some measurements for, I don't have the equipment, would you like to do some measurements? And it was very, very expensive. Uh, so uh, she, I, I went to my, my um, supervisor and I said, look, we, we've got to buy some equipment and do some measurements. 
So I bought a spectrum analyzer, an Aronia spectrum analyzer, and started accumulating the spectrum in her office. Before that, though, I said to her, look, I don't think there's much of a problem here because you're actually under, you're on the top floor of the, the library and you're actually under, under the tower. So um, the panels are pointing outwards. So I don't think I'll really be able to measure very much here because you're underneath it. You're in a shadow. And she said, um, well, I'm still worried about it. So I got the equipment and started measuring. And I got, I got a real surprise. I actually was getting quite large power density numbers. And, and, I, and because it was a frequency spectrum analyzer, I could actually look in the actual frequency windows. So I said, this is strange. I'm actually getting quite large numbers here. I looked out the window and on the next building, there were towers pointing in her direction. So, yeah. So I thought, well, this is interesting. So the next thing I did was I left it running there. And then I noticed that throughout the day, the levels changed quite dramatically. And in fact, at lunchtime, uh, when the, all the kids came out from uh, their lectures, they all switched on their mobile phones. And, and the place, the, the, um, uh, the spectrum analyzer lit up, lit up like a Christmas tree. So I was, I was really quite shocked by this. Even though the levels were low, the variation throughout the day was quite dramatic. And then I looked, started looking at the standards and I thought, oh, six minute averages? What are you gonna measure in six minutes? You know, you need to be measuring over a day. So where are the background measurements? Where are the, where are the uh, where's the data that shows us this is changing over time? So then I, um, I, I contacted uh, some of these companies who produce what they call the environmental uh, environmental reports for these towers, they do a, they do a report, and uh, and I had a look at it, and I rang them up and I said, look, um, uh, how do you generate these reports? And they said, oh, we just calculate the numbers, uh, we just assume that the panels are uh, operating at 100%, and we just calculate the numbers. And I said, you don't do any measurements, and they said, no, no, we don't do any measurements. And I said, this is nonsense. This, how do we know how the background is changing? So anyway, that, that's how, that's, that stimulated my interest. And then I started to uh, talk to other colleagues and, uh, and I contacted, I knew some friends who were doctors and uh, I contacted them and had a chat with them. And then I realized that this ICNIRP standard was basically nonsense. This is a nonsense standard. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's based on heating. And then I realized that, that we, had, we had a problem with, this, this, uh, with these standards that were being rolled out. So um, about five years ago, as I said, uh, the experience I had at Queensland University, uh, at um, Queensland University of Technology, I then, I actually, in the last couple of years of my, uh, before retirement, I actually inst uh, was, uh, involved in uh, getting the health approvals for a cyclotron at the University of Queensland. Uh, and while I was at the University of Queensland, I actually met another, another lay, a lady who uh, was a psychologist who uh, said she was electro-hypersensitive. And then I met a few other people. And then I started thinking, well, hey, we've got to really look at this science. So about five years ago, we, we established the Oceana Radio Frequency Association and uh, 
we we got together a group of uh, scientists. We got together um, biologists and biochemists. We got together and started talking about how we would structure this society. And what it was important to do was to stay focused on the science. So um, we, we noticed there was great gaps in the um, in the information uh, that was being put out there. So we decided to, to uh, at, at the first point, we decided to review the science, but we realized in order to do that, we needed a whole lot of people with a whole lot of different disciplines. Now, as I said, we knew a few doctors and uh, we, I contacted uh, friends who, who were doctors and I said, look, would you like to um, assist us? I had a, a, a occupational uh, safety guy. Um, I had a, a, another, another chap who was uh, a, fr a great friend, known him since uh, 1978 when we worked in the uranium mines together. Uh, I, uh, he's, he's a professor at a local university here. I, in um, occupational health and I said look would you like to join us so we assembled a team of people who had a diverse backgrounds some of the doctors were actually um, scared to join our association they said oh look uh, we, you know we don't want to put ourselves up in lights up there you know we've got um, uh, we've got to worry about um, how people would perceive this, you know, uh, uh, the, the official line is there's not a problem, you know, so there was a, a great reluctance to actually join up with us, but in fact, they, they help us in the background and, and uh, when we get stuck on a biological question, we go to them. So we've the number of, uh, so there's quite a, a range of people that we've got uh, in Orsa and uh, working for us. So we're a not-for-profit organisation. We, we don't take any money from industry. We really, we, we, we just want to look at the science. And we, when we got together, we started looking at the data, what data was actually available. And uh, we looked at EMF portal and uh, we also looked at uh, uh, PubMed. And we decided when you look in those databases, they don't actually categorise the information. They just discuss it. Um, and uh, just uh, basically do an evaluation of it, but they don't actually categorise whether in fact this was an effect or no effect study. They don't categorise the outcomes. They don't categorise the endpoints. There's, there's sort of no, it's very sort of uh, uh, general and generic. So um, we, we decided the other thing too is that these databases all cont contained lots of papers uh, on uh, medical evidence, uh, like for example, ablation, which really wasn't really relevant to what we wanted to look at. And so an electrocution, you know, uh, uh, EMF portals got uh, lots of papers on electrocution, uh, totally irrelevant to what we wanted to look at. We wanted to look at uh, those uh, experiments which were, were uh, below the uh, ICNERP guidelines, which showed bioeffects, and we wanted to categorise the endpoints of the experiment and the outcomes of the experiment. So hence we set up, um, and you can see a pie chart here, it's not really easy to see, but we, we categorised all the papers into epidemiology, which are disease studies. We categorised them into cell studies in vitro. We categorised them into in vivo, and, uh, and we've got these other studies over here, provocation studies, where they put people in a room and they, they turn on the antenna. The interesting thing about those studies, and they're, they're a bit of uh, 
bit bit of nonsense really but the interesting thing about those studies is that um, over 70 percent of the studies which used um, uh, EEG machines and ECG machines they they actually show um, changes in brainwave patterns which are uh, over 70 percent of those studies show that which is quite interesting but the trouble is with these studies is that um, uh, biological systems aren't linear. I mean, you you can you can go out in the sun today, and um, tomorrow, um, if if tomorrow you you'll hey I've got sun I've got I've got sunburn I've got I've got uh, I've got a problem. So this is what happens with a lot of these people who actually get exposed. the The effect doesn't happen straight away. It's it's some hours later or a day later that they they suffer with headaches and they don't feel well and uh, and then there's a, a slow uh, slow recovery process so uh, the, these um, these experiments where they turn they they put people in a room and switch on uh, the antenna and say do you feel it I mean they're they really are a bit of bit of nonsense. And the other thing we noticed was there was um, a little wedge here which says uh, possible beneficial effects, um, which is 2% of all the studies, very small. But um, some of the uh, researchers say, look, um, maybe there's some uh, therapy. There's also, there's, there's a group, there's a group of papers down here which we call uh, non-experimental scientific studies, which are basically either measurement studies or dosimetry or reviews. And the big problem with reviews is you can select what papers you want to give the outcome you want in a review. And uh, you've, you, when you look at these review papers, you've really got to look at um, the, who's funding the review and uh, where, where, the, where the money's coming from and um, what the scientists uh, previously um, um, in terms of their um, research what their what their belief systems are and um, so reviews are very tricky and um, you've got to be careful of them but with the in vivo and in vitro studies these are pure ex experimental studies in the peer review literature you've really the um, most it's very difficult to mask the the effects but biology is really interesting and um, Steve Weller uh, one of our uh, biochemist has been evaluating uh, the um, how you can actually uh, perform the experiment to actually give the outcome you want and and that can be done as well so as I said there's over 3,800 papers and um, we've made the uh, the um, databases available freely on the web you can go on there log on it I suggest that you don't do that straight away. You go and look at the training videos. And in fact, um, I was um, thinking that possibly um, I should do a training session on that because a lot of people now are using this database around the world and selecting papers. They're looking for particular types of papers and selecting them and asking questions. Um, and some of those questions are really questions of um, uh, how to use the database um, so it's um, it's a it's um, it's as a learning curve like anything that's uh, research orientated there's a learning curve associated with it 
To learn more about why and how to reduce exposure to cell phone and wireless radiation, as well as HALT 5G, visit ehtrust.org. If you find our podcasts and materials useful, please donate to EHT. Your tax-deductible donation makes the difference for our nonprofit. Join us on Patreon to participate in webinars and be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Thank you for listening.